Welcome to Christian Warrior Talk, proudly presented by Christian Warrior Mission. Hosted by former Navy SEAL, SWAT officer, and atheist, now a warrior for Jesus Christ, Pastor Jason Perry. This is more than just a podcast. It's a spiritual vanguard where we intentionally set aside the hustle of our daily lives to come together. We gather to study the Bible, share in heartfelt prayer, and engage in meaningful discussions about all things Christian, homesteading, prepping, and self-defense. Lock shields with us, and together, we will hold the line. And now, let's meet your host, Pastor Jason Perry. You are listening to the Patriot Crusader Mission Podcast, where Christian warriors are forged. Here, you will find our talk show, Christian Warrior Talk, sermons, and Bible studies with Pastor Jason Perry. Join us to become the Christian warrior you are called to be. All right, good morning, everyone, and thank you for making it out on this chilly day. I can't believe that it was just 80 degrees. <laughs> A few days ago, and it's going to be 70, almost 70 tomorrow, and it's 10 degrees this morning. So (laughs) I'm hoping to get up on the top of the cross back there and get some footage while it's still white everywhere. I think that would be kind of cool. Um, So as you guys know, I was in Nashville last week, and it was was a great experience to be around uh, a bunch of solid believers and see people doing some amazing things for the kingdom. Um. Some things I want to cover in the news before we get into the message or prayer and then into the message. Um, If you guys aren't watching Tucker Carlson, you should, because he's the only one out there I've seen that's telling the truth right now. I had friends of mine who were telling me about Ukraine lab, special medical labs in Ukraine three weeks ago, and I laughed at them. And I'm like, yeah, that's not right. You're telling me this is about bio labs in Ukraine, and I'm not saying it is. Lo and behold, Tucker Carlson broke the story. Uh, three days ago, that in fact, the U.S. has a bunch of special level three labs, secret labs in Ukraine. And I was just blown away. You know, here I am. I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm going to do that. And he apologized for not believing it as well, saying he didn't want to touch it. So just understand, again, as we've said over and over again, that you're being, you're 100% getting uh, propaganda around the around the clock. Latest thing that I've heard is that Russians are attacking the convoys, bringing in medical supplies that are going on there. And again, I'm not a fan of the Russians, and I hope the Ukrainians win. But imagine if your army was getting killed by weapons sent by the U.S., right? They got all these columns that they're showing where our weapons are totally lighting up and killing Russian soldiers, right? It's a war. Soldiers die. I understand that. Well, how do you think they're getting them in there? You think they get a big red flag that says, hey, we're sending weapons with this? Or do you think they're smuggling them in with the, with the medical supplies? So just understand that nothing is what it seems. Don't trust anyone, least of all our own government right now, which that pains me so much to, to say that. And uh, I'm going to go through that today. So after last week, I've been reflecting on my sermon about the war and then about prepping. And I think it's really important for you guys to hear who is in the foxhole with you. 
So I'm going to go over my testimony today, as well as lessons learned, biblical lessons learned along the way that could have prevented me from being an atheist for 37 years and going off the rails as hardcore as I did. And you're going to find out that I really went off the rails. So, um, so that's my intent for today. And I encourage you guys, um, if you want to get up in here and we can kill the camera if you want, at out later points and stand up and give your testimony, it's welcome. I think that one of the things that I say and that I teach is your war council. Termites war council is your most trusted advisors. They're people who they know your unedited, unedited testimony with all the warts and scars and secrets. And you know theirs. So that way, if anyone violates OPSEC, it's mutually assured destruction, right? Because <laughs> everyone knows everyone's dark secrets. But it's really, really important because that lets me know where your weaknesses are. So let's say one of you is an alcoholic and you really can't be around it. Well, I would change my behavior around you if I was going to do that. Now, some of you might, like my dad, my dad is a recovered alcoholic. He can be in a bar and he has no problem with it because he knows he's takes one sip and he'll wake up in prison a month later. That's, he knows his weakness. In the beginning, he couldn't be like that. But 30 years sober, 40 years sober, he can, right? So it just allows us to understand, hey, where where's your weak side? You know, there's a great book out there that I remember reading uh, called 300. It was what the movie was based on. It's called Gates of Fire, and it's the Battle of Thermopylae where the Spartans held off. You know, it's what the movie 300 was all based upon. And guys knew that Leonidas's shoulder was bad or whatever. So they knew that he couldn't cover high. So someone else would cover high for him, right? Based off of knowing where your wounds are and your injuries allows me to cover your blind spots for you, right? So that's basically why I'm going to go over today, my blind spots and, um, and get as vulnerable as I possibly can you guys got to remember, our history is his story, right? As Christians, it's not yours. It's not yours to keep. It's to serve the kingdom, okay? It's yours to serve the kingdom. So I'm going to start with a prayer, and then we'll get into Scripture. Uh, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite verses, um, and then uh, we'll go from there. So, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you, I come to you now with fear of trembling to represent you, Lord, to represent your word, to represent the truth, the only truth, you and your son, Jesus. Lord, we are here doing the most glorious thing. We are celebrating you, and we are seeking you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you send down your Holy Spirit and fill us all afresh and that you send your Holy Spirit to help us discern your truth from, from my words. And may my words be your words. Lord, help me to not glorify my sinful past today. Help me not misstep or glorify my, my shame. Lord, I am telling a story in which I am the villain and you are the hero. Lord, I pray a prayer protection for our first responders at home, troops overseas, patriots fighting for freedom, 
all around the world. And I pray for peace in the Ukraine. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. So, um, amen. So now I'm going to put on my glasses and hopefully I don't lose my spot because I'm telling you, if I get a thick print book, it'll be this big. <laughs> it'll look cool at least. I'll be like, I'll look like a little miniature person hiding behind my giant Bible. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy today. We're going to pick it up at 12. This is the good news. Chapter 1, verse 12. All right. This is the word of our Lord. The uninspired words are Jesus Christ came to save sinners, picking up verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This I charge. I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that you may, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Among who are Amanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not learn blasphemy. Hard words. Hard words from a hard man. Um, I love that. A lot of people stop at, they do like 14 and 15. Um, but I think, I think you have to really pick it up at 12 to get the full context. So I'm going to again tell you my testimony today, and I'm going to try to pull teaching points Throughout my past, all of our testimonies don't start with us. They usually start with our father, grandfather, or great-grandfather. Part of the reason why I started Patriot Crusader Mission was that men have lost the ability, have lost the, the ability, the training, and the calling of being disciplers disciples in chief of their families. And that was in my family on both sides. My family were atheists on one side and 
agnostic at best on the other side. My grandfather uh, was an orphan in one of the most notorious orphanages, Catholic orphanages in in Newfoundland. Uh, There was a movie made about it called The Boys of St. Vincent, where he was victimized by the Catholic priest, and I'll leave it there. That hardened his heart forever against the Lord, rightfully so. Um, for, you know, you can see how that would hard it against the faith, but I wish, you know, I wish he had uh, come back to the Lord. But as far as I know, he did not. So this had a very, put my family on a very dark trajectory. We were all raised without faith or, or anti-faith. Um, there was... What's something you have to understand is we are born empty vessels. And either you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit or you're going to be filled with the world. Now, hopefully, you know, you guys are here. You guys are full of the Holy Spirit. Those who are of the world, that was me. And that set me off on a very dark path. We all have a God-shaped hole in the center of us, whether we believe it or not. And once the Holy Spirit comes into us, it fills that hole. But until then, you are going to pour the world in. And everyone chooses a different poison depending upon your weakness, right? Depending on where, how the enemy gets into you. So none of my family was religious. My On my father's side, I had, I don't know, three to four generations of alcoholics, including my dad. My mom and dad, my mom was 16 and my dad was 18 they got married and it didn't last very long as you can imagine. Kids having kids. Um, you know, basically my grandparents stepped in to try to do the best they could. I don't want to bash my mother or my dad. I can't imagine if I had a kid at 16, um, you know, the decisions I would have made. But we were a welfare family for a lot of my life. And um And my mother did not want to have me baptized because she wanted me to have a choice in my faith or didn't want to expose, wanted to give me a choice. Well, when I tell you what the choice was that I ended up making, you're going to see why that's so dangerous. Our number one responsibility is parents, is guardians. Not only guardians, but spiritual guardians. Be, be, okay, okay, I don't want to distract. Okay, um, you are not their friends. You can be, you become friends when they become adults. They turn 18 and now you're peers. But until then, you are their guardian. That means that you have to make hard decisions for them. And one of those means that they are getting discipled onto Jesus Christ, whether they like it or not in the beginning. And then when they're, you know, hopefully, when they turn 18 or they become of age and they understand, they're going to thank you one day for having the Lord in their life. My, As you guys know, one of my jobs is I run a podcast from Mike Lindell called The Hope Report. And The Hope Report is testimonies of people who've overcome great struggles, whether it be molestation by their direct parents. You know, they all it all ends up in drugs or in sex and all these other things that go in a very dark way. And even people who were barely introduced to Christ, those seeds were planted, and those that is what pulled them out later on. So even though it seems that it may be bouncing off your kid's forehead as they're falling asleep in church, here yeah, it's small, guys, so 
know, I'm just going to get a pellet gun and, and get people on the pulpit if they were falling asleep someday. But um, you are sowing seeds. In the day they hit bottom and they hit, they land on their knees and they've emptied themselves of themselves and are open to the Holy Spirit. It'll be those seeds that you planted that'll bring them home. All right. So just understand that. So I was a tough kid. Grew up, you know, fighting because we didn't have enough money for me to have cool clothes or anything like that. So in the city and like in a lot of schools, you can either be, you know, you can either be in with the cool crowd or you can be feared. So I went with the feared way because that way I would kind of be respected. I started hanging out with guys in the gym that were way older than me. And uh, I also had, you know, let me back up a little bit. So in first grade, I was held back because I had something called, I have something called dyslexia. It's where your brain reads things backwards. And it can be a problem with, you know, it's a, can be really hard to overcome. Luckily, I was able to overcome that with some really solid um, training. But I was three years behind my reading grade level. And I was hanging out with a pretty a family that was very broken. Their parents would do drugs in the house, but that's the neighborhood we all, where we all wanted to hang out with, right? Because we could do anything there. We were all street hockey junkies, so we would play street hockey 24-7 and then go in there. And their older brother started playing a game called Dungeons and Dragons, right? Dungeons and Dragons was invented in 1972 by a guy named Gary Gygax. It's a role-playing game. And by fourth grade, third or fourth grade, it's a game that's meant for adults, okay? But it unlocked my imagination, and I went from three grades behind to two grades above in one summer, just by reading all the things that I was reading in order to play this game with these older kids that were there. The problem is, is that it's full of the occult. It's full of demons and devils and people who write, they try to write interesting stories. So they talk about the person who became a devil or a demon who got a bad deal and he wasn't all bad. And it really starts getting into this realm of having sympathy for the devil. So, and then you know, because I had this wound of abandonment that I acquired from my parents, um, I got really angry like a lot of teenagers do. So I started listening to the most heavy metal I possibly can imagine. Slayer and the most evil things you could ever imagine, which was all about, I mean, every other song's about Satan. or And then if they weren't hard enough, so I had to go to King Diamond and Venom and as dark as I could, and there I am with a satanic Bible in my in my room at like 14 with candles doing stupid stuff. And uh, luckily my mom found it and said, well, the, the one thing she did was throw that away. I was reaching out for something. I was so angry, and no one introduced me to God. Here I was getting ready to pray to Satan to take me in because I was so angry. How twisted and how dark can that be? But that's what people do every day. And that is something that we have to be cognizant of is how powerful music is and how powerful the words are in the music. When you, music bypasses thought 
and it goes right into your brain. It's like your mind is distracted trying to process the sound of the instruments that you start taking on and celebrating things that you don't even know. And my biggest heartbreak was I wanted there to be a God. I just didn't believe there was a God. So I went around trying to offend him as much as I could um, because I really wanted him to be there, but I just couldn't believe he was there because I was a scientist. I was raised in the Northeast. And we were told that anybody who doesn't believe in evolution might as well believe in the Easter Bunny and everything else. I'll leave it at that because we got young kids in the room. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, leprechauns and, and, you know, and all that stuff. So I was like, okay. Um, and Lauren, my wife, who I met, and I'll get to her later on. So the, here's this wound of abandonment. And my superpower became anger at that point. Anger could burn me through anything. It got me through SEAL training that I'll talk about later. But now, you know, I'm doing this. And in my anger, I start lifting weights and I start taking martial arts and I start taking boxing and I start taking all these things because I want to be tougher. I'm angrier and I'm getting big. I'm getting real big. And, uh, and I start hanging out with older guys, like guys in their 20s, and I'm 16. So um, they got me a job bouncing in a nightclub at 16. I'm not supposed to be 16. And I start hooking up with a lot older women who think I'm, of course, of age when I'm not of age. And I'm like, well, why am I even going to school? So I dropped off two months into 10th grade. Now, I could have been an astronaut if I didn't do that. I was extremely bright. I was a straight A student, but, you know, school bored the heck out of me. And here was this conquest. And I started dating a girl who I thought if you had asked me what about tomorrow, what I was sure of, I'm like the sunrise, the sunrise will set and that person will be there for me. I dropped out of school. Like I said, I got a job in the Teamsters Union. I lied about my age again, and I'm making really good money. This is back in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties. And I'm, I'm making 20 something dollars an hour loading a truck. Well, yeah, I wish I wish I'd write a book and make some money on that. But, but anyways, so I'm making all this money and now I got a nice car. I got my own apartment, a leather couch, right? You know, that's one thing guys. Oh, I don't know what it is, but there it is. And there's my other couch now, but <laughs> you know, and then the recession hit. Right. But while I'm doing this, you know, before that, I thought this girl was going to be there. And then her parents were like, we don't want you going out with them. And I couldn't process that. And I totally lost it. Like all my old wounds totally tore open. And then I'm like, that's it. I will never, ever, ever be hurt again. And I went from the wounded to the wounder. I became a, a, a serial womanizer. I would date four, five, six women at a time, and I would lie, and I'd be juggling those cards, which made me the best liar on the planet. I would go, when I went in the military, I would have one coming in the front door, my grandmother stalling one at the back door so I could get him. It was awful. It was terrible. I'm ashamed of what I, what I did. But we have to understand this, that if the father is not in the home, that's a direct attack on your relationship with the father. That is the model we have. And as society tries to displace our fathers and tries to make a mockery of them, right? If you look at every sitcom, who's the dunce? 
the dad, right? It's the dad. And it's a threat upon, you know, masculinity itself. So I am bouncing in nightclubs and what comes with that? Drugs, right? So cocaine's everywhere. It helps you party a little bit more. So I'm doing that. I ended up starting even dealing it. And uh, luckily, I hit 20. I'm living this whole lifestyle. And at 20, the light goes off saying, hey, I'm lying in bed. I paid a lot of money to feel terrible. It's 10 o'clock in the morning, and I can't sleep. And I'm like, I paid hundreds of dollars to feel this way. I'm going to end up dead or in jail. What, what can I do? What can I do to redeem myself? Because I don't believe in God. Luckily, back then, Massachusetts was still very patriotic. And, I mean, I walked by John Quincy Adams' house all the time. I walked by Paul Revere's house. I loved America. I had just, when I had dropped out of school at, at you know, in the 10th grade, I had given up all hope of something better. So my whole life was pursued in, well, if I can just get one more girl, I can forget that I'm going to be a loser the rest of my life. Um, you know, because the Teamster job dropped off, died. The, the uh, recession hit, layoffs hit, no one had any work. And I remember at one point, um, I, there was this one place called Stop and Shop, which is a grocery store chain. I don't even know if it's in business anymore. But they had a, they were one of the warehouses that was still running. And this is going to get to prayers and why God not answering your prayers can be the best thing that ever happened. So I went there, and it was one of those places where you can only get the job there because it was such a good job if you knew someone. So for 180 days, I filled out an application every day and I put it in there. I'm like, somebody's going to get tired of reading one of these things. And they called me and I got the job. There's a probation time. So there's a lot of things that I am. Uh, Organized can be a challenge for me. (laughs) And when you're building these pallets there, it wasn't like I was loading furniture into into a big, you know, tractor trailer. I had to build pallets and memorize where things were and, that's just not how I was built. And after six months working there or whatever it was, I was one of those guys to get let go because I wasn't loading fast enough. Now, here I am, really bright guy, and I'm praying to God to keep my job. And if I had kept my job, that's what I'd be doing today, except they went out of business shortly thereafter. And I would have never went on to be in the skill teams. So it's 20. There I am. I'm 20. I'm laying in bed. I'm like, this, this sucks. Uh, what am I going to do? And I said, well, I can go in the military. I'm going to go in the military. I'm going to go join the Marines. The Marines had the best commercial at the time. You know, with the, you guys, I don't know if you remember the chessboard and the gothic music and slaying the dragon. I'm like, that's going to be me. So I walk in and I'm still a big guy at this point. And um, they're like, hey, let's sign you up. I'm like, okay, where's your high school diploma? I'm like, uh, I don't have one. They're like, get out of here. We can't do anything with you. Smoke, smoke. Like, what about the army? Rambo. Yeah, Rambo just came out. You know, the cool mud on the eye scene where he opens his eye in the mud. I'm like, I'm gonna go do that. They wouldn't take me. Oh my man. That leaves the Air Force and the and the Navy. So I'm like, what the heck am I gonna do in the air? They're gonna let me fly a plane. So I go down there, and of course they won't work in because Christian Warrior Talk is sponsored by Trident Shield. 
your trusted ally in violence preparedness. Trident Shield safeguards your loved ones with expert training and consulting. Trident Shield, defending faith through preparedness because together we save lives. The Air Force never works, right? So, <laughs> so I'm like, Navy, I'm like, I like girls. I don't want to be on a ship with a bunch of dudes. This is going to be terrible. But I go down there and they don't want me either, but they said, hey, give us your number. We have special programs come up all the time. So then they call me a few months later, and I'm, I'm down in the dumps. So I can't even join the military. I remember the, the days when it was go to jail or go to war, right? And I'm just like, they got to take me, right? No. So I, they call me, and they're like, come down. We want to see how dumb you are. So I come down there, and I take the ASVAB test, and I smoke it. Now my phone's ringing off the hook. The Navy just doesn't get the, the program. They all do. And I said, well, you guys were too cool for me before. Navy's the only one who gave me a chance. My friend was in the Navy. He was a CB. And now he was driving a crane, making a ridiculous amount of money, like hundreds of dollars an hour back in 1992. And I'm like, all right, well, there we go. Well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go be a CB. He gets to carry a gun. He's never on a ship. And, you know, I'll learn something. So I go down there to MEPS. And they're like, okay, here's what we want you to do. We want you to be a nuclear su- on a nuclear submarine. I'm like, you are out of your mind. There is no way I'm going on the bottom of the ocean with a bunch of dudes and never going to see the sunlight. That's not me. No, but you don't understand. You're going to be able to get a job working at nuclear reactor plants. I'm like, I'm not Bart Simpson or Homer Simpson. I'm not doing this. No way. So they kept trying to put me in. And I'm like, you know what? They, I'm like, I'm going to go to lunch. Come back having the job. I'm going to go to the Marines where I wanted to go in the first place. So I go to lunch and I come back, and this is going to be pretty funny. And I'm like, what do you got for me? And they're like, well, you're a big guy. You're in shape. You ever thought about being a SEAL? And I'm like, like SeaWorld? You want me to train dolphins and sea lions? I'm like, I'm totally down with that. That'd be so cool. Right? They're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. And then they slid the piece of paper across the table. and. Uh, and it read like a James Bond novel. Like, why did you give me, like, what do I get to do to this for like six years? I'm like, pow, right there. Didn't read the fine print, didn't care. Basically gave me three chances to become a SEAL in boot camp. So I was the only one who passed on the first time. Now I'm off and I end up going to Coronado and I become a SEAL. Now I'm engaged to multiple different girls at this time. I'm like totally living all this stuff. My, like my mail call was ridiculous. All the guys next to me would be like, whatever. And, it's totally awful, and I am a, I'm a I'm a total scumbag, and I'm still broken. See, I was what I thought I was gonna like I had replaced with women. I thought I was gonna replace that hole. Now I was gonna fill it with camaraderie, right? The SEAL teams are gonna never. No one was ever gonna let me down. All the friends who let me down, everyone who ever betrayed me, my SEAL brothers would never do that. So I'm gonna do that. Well, I'm very broken. I go in there. None of those relationships work out, of course, right? Um, because I'm going to California, and I've been reading about California girls my whole life, and that's where I think I'm going. So, um, so I become a seal, right? Um, story over, right? That's that's the end of it. No, because I had that big hole. I was still angry, and that superpower that I had, that anger power, 
was there for me and it got me through buds and it got me through all the challenges and it got me through all the fights and all the times I'm scared. Cause you guys don't understand. There's two things that I'm absolutely terrified of heights and sharks, right? Well, I've, uh, here I am jumping out of planes for a living and I've been around sharks in the water more times than I care to count. I've actually been hit by them. And, uh, it's a pretty, pretty gnarly thing. So, um, so that time, all those times, I would just have to get angrier and angrier. And the music I'm still listening to is angry. My favorite song that, you know, it hadn't come out at this point. It came out later was by Slayer and it was God Hates Us All. And that was my anthem. And that whole time, my soul is just screaming out at how angry I am. that There's no God because I think he's doing a terrible job. I mean, how arrogant of me. So I deploy. And I am hamstringing my career because I'm so angry. I'm not a good team player. You know, I'm one of those guys where, you know, I had a reputation for knocking people out and doing things. And I'm like, don't call me when there's like stuff like a Florida sweep, call me when there's a fight. Well, <laughs> that's not a good attitude to have. And, and there really wasn't a lot of mentoring in the SEAL teams. I watched a lot of guys turn on one another. And I always stuck up for the underdog. That was part of my only redeeming quality is that I didn't like bullies and I didn't like people picking on one another. And I'd see unfair things happening. And because I was big and strong and I had a, I don't care attitude. Um, I made some very powerful enemies in the SEAL team. So here I was, I wanted to go to SEAL team six. I was hanging out with all those guys. I was on the green light to go there. And then they're getting ready to beat somebody up in a bar one night you know, um, and I stuck up for the wrong guy and, um, that was the end of it. And then that same guy was hitting on somebody's, uh, fiance when they were out of town. And then I really, you know, had some things to say. And at that point I was blackballed. I couldn't go anywhere. <clears throat> so I'm deployed in Iraq now and on my, I don't know, I can't remember, it was on my birthday, and we're on our way to Iraq, and when we land in um, Ramstein Air Force, I get a kidney stone. Now, I'm the medic, and I have control of all the morphine, which is a good thing, because I'm the only one who can give myself the morphine. But I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not staying in Germany. This is my ticket to the show. This is our first time to Iraq. And so I'm, like, screaming at my medic, get me the morphine. I'm blasting morphine. We get on the plane, we take off, and we go from Germany to Iraq, and uh, and I'm there. The whole point of that story is to tell you is they found a mass on my kidney. They found a mass on my adrenal gland, and they found a mass on my lung. And they're like, hey, you should go back to the States. I'm like, I just got to the war zone. I'll deal with that when I get back. I'm not going back yet. I'm not dealing with this till after. So I do that deployment. I come home, and they're like, hey, this is October. Like, Jason, we're not sure how long you're going to be around, so get your affairs in order over Christmas. We're going to send you to shore duty to, so you can figure this out and go from there. So here I am for about a year and a half. I think I'm dying of cancer. I still refuse to believe in God at this point because I don't ever want to come to him weak, right? I'm like, I'll, I'll come to him strong on my, I'm going to beat this, and then I'll come to God if I'm ever going to come to God, Right. So arrogant, so so insecure, and so overcompensating for everything. So I'm married at the time, 
And uh, I ended up find out that the mass of my lung was artifact. They just misread something, which is a distortion. The mass of my kidney was a blood blister from a parachuting accident that I, I had. And then the mass of my adrenal gland, they ended up pulling that out. It turned out not to be cancerous. And so now, now it's time, like during this time though, I'm like, I'm not going to be one of these guys who, who like withers away to 98 pounds and dies of cancer. I party like a rock star. I was in Panama city, Florida on shore duty on an easy job. And I party like a rock star. Me and my, my uh, wife at the time, we're going to go our separate ways. We've already decided that. So while towards the end there, someone gave my ex-wife a book. She's still currently my wife at that point called, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It's over there on the shelf by Norman Gessler, Geisler. I can never get his name right. And in those pages of that book, I went from atheist to agnostic, uh, to agnostic to, Hey, this guy is the one who opened my eyes. He, Maybe Christianity is, is right. So I become Christian. I say a prayer in my bed one night, and I will kid you not, I, I felt this warm, tingly feeling from the head of my toe after I said the prayer. I'm lying in bed, so I'm thinking I'm dreaming this, right? And from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, it's like pins and needles, but extremely pleasurable. It was like this warm flood of energy went into me. And I'm like, that's crazy. And then I woke up in the morning. I'm like, I totally must have dreamed that. I, I don't believe in this stuff, right? I, that, that didn't just happen. But the whole time it's in the back of my mind. So I'm, I go to Boston because I, while I was deployed, I lost my little brother to heroin. And I went to his funeral and there was no one there. I, you know, finally I cornered one of, his, one of the few friends that were there. And I said, where is everyone? This is, this is not cool. And they're like, Hey, they're already all dead, gone, lost to heroin. An entire group of age group of kids wiped out. This was the kickoff to the opioid epidemic where it started with oxy and then it went into heroin. And that's where, how they all ended up being taken. So I'm like, that's it. I'm tired of making sandboxes safe. I'm going to go make my own hometown safe. So I joined the Boston police department and, uh, and I, you know, I thought it was going to be everything I wanted again. Um, I'm a rational Christian now, which is what I would say, which is that I am not spirit filled. I do not, like, I'm not trying to live the lifestyle. I just know that if I can say a prayer before my time's up, I'm good to go. I just got to repent for everything. So I'm going to build up a laundry list and then I'll repent and then I'm good. Another laundry list, repent and I'm good. So I'm go back to my old ways. I'm living a triple lifestyle. My ex decides that she wants to come up and, and give it a go. And I'm like, all right. She ends up coming in, coming up there. And um, she wants to have a kid. I never wanted children. It was part of my wound. I always knew that if I had kids, the wife would abandon me for the kid. And then I would all be back to the same cycle again. So we end up having a kid and our kid has autism. So here I am. Um, great communicator. And now I've just run into a buzz, a buzz saw of he's, he's nonverbal. He doesn't communicate well. I, it's like my biggest kryptonite ever. 
So we decide that I'm going to leave my dream job. You know, here I am. I'm on the SWAT team. I'm literally a motorcycle cop half the time and a SWAT team guy the next the time. So I don't even touch paperwork. I don't do paperwork. I get to show up, kick down doors and do great stuff. We end up going to Charlottesville where my ex-wife had uh, family and we had friends to, th to throw stuff at this autism. Well, um, I come into a crisis of faith. I'm watching my son struggle with everything and all my other friends, kids are like thriving and I'm just, I'm in a really dark place. Um, everything I feared with uh, my wife had came true. Obviously having an autistic kid is a big challenge. It requires a lot of work. She was a super mom, um, but the marriage became priority like 4,722. So, um, so the marriage blew up and uh, I met Lauren. And Lauren was a devout atheist at the time. And we started getting pretty serious. And I told her, I'm like, well, let me back up. The lesson learned here. Marriage. You are a unit. And you're, you're, there are times and there are going to be seasons when things rotate into, you know, where you're going to have to split and prioritize different things. But there can be no doubt in either spouse's mind on what is the most important thing. It has to be your partner. If, you're, if your husband doesn't think he's number one in your life, someone's going to tell him that he is. If your wife doesn't feel like she's number one in your life, someone's going to tell her that she is. And when that happens, depending on where you are spiritually and in your relationship with Jesus, and even I've seen pastors fall victim to this, and have affairs. And I've seen godly, godly, godly men fall into this because they feel like no one gets them, no one appreciates them, and someone comes up and tells them they're amazing. It's part of the reason why I started Patriot Crusader Mission, the ministry, because when I found Kent Graves, and I'll get ahead to that, but I remember one day when I met Ken, and we were hanging out, we became good friends, and I'm talking to his wife and there was something really technical that was going on in his house and he was going to fix it. I mean, like master electrician work. Right. And I'm like, I told him to turn to his wife. I'm like, does Ken know how to do that? She looked at me like, I just asked her if water's wet. She's like, my son is well, not my son. My husband's Superman. He can do anything. And what I saw in her eyes was exactly what every man is craving everywhere that I've ever met a woman who thinks that they're Superman, he's, that's her hero. And I'm like, I want to give that to everyone. I want to give that to everyone. I want to give that to the women. I want to give it to the men because I know how powerful that is. That's what I have been seeking always. So <clears throat> Lauren and I, I, I pull her aside and I say, hey, listen, I can't have one foot in the agnostic camp and one foot in the Christian camp. I'm going to go on a journey. Will you come with me? And I don't know if I'm going to end up being an agnostic. I can't be an atheist. I can't believe in random chaos. And she's an atheist this time. And she's thinking to herself, you'll hear her testimony one day. She's like, oh, I'm going to get rid of this Jesus stuff. This is crazy. I got him. I got him. Right? So we start 
having deep theological discussions as I dive back into my faith. We're talking about microevolution, macroevolution, all this stuff. And my wife, because she was raised in the Northeast, and she's got a bachelor's in science and animal studies and animal behavior. So she's been fed the evolution thing, not just for 12 years, but for another four years at a high level. Well, <sighs> while I'm doing this, I'm running my company called Trident Shield. Trident Shield is an active shooter and security training company. It also used to be a military prep company. And I used to donate my time in the morning to let heroin addicts come work out for free. And I'd pair them with veterans of PTSD and they would give them another mission, someone to work on. And a friend of mine's like, hey, Jay, you need to go to this program called Operation Restored Warrior. It is a faith-based program that helps veterans with that have PTSD and suicide. I'm like, bro, I'm not suicidal. That's like not one of my issues. You'll learn something that'll help the other guys. That's how they got me. And I'm like, I turned it down for a long time. And then it was at Lake Tahoe. Now, Lake Tahoe is one of my favorite places on earth. If you've never seen it, it is, it's gotta be the closest place to heaven you'll ever see. It's snow-capped mountains, evergreen trees, and then Caribbean blue water at the bottom. It's the most impossible thing you ever saw. Fresh water with 100-foot visibility. You can't find that anywhere. So I go, and I get saved for real. My, they identify my wounds. I went from never wanting to have kids to calling my wife, who's still an atheist, who doesn't want kids. We agreed to this, saying, I want to have kids. And now she's freaking out on the other side of the phone. But she'll tell me that day two of this day, of this event, it was a five-day event. And you got a team of guys praying over you and walking you through from your earliest memory to your late to, to modern day, healing all your wounds. It's an amazing experience. And they arrange a meeting between you and Jesus. And it's the most powerful thing you ever imagine. So I get saved and everything's all great, right? Well, kind of. Now I got to find a church. And here I am rough around the edges guy or w in itself was kind of anti-church it was formed around a bunch of john eldridge's teachings you know wild at heart you know which i like john i like a lot of stuff that he says but i think that he's done some harm with um not getting people in the church and in the body so i go and i go on this holy quest trying to find the right church and i don't fit in anywhere you guys have heard parts of this story and um lauren and i end up getting baptized a year later together on stage. I got her. I formed a small group to get her saved. So I called all my friends who I knew were Christians, and we did a group that was designed from its beginning to get her saved, but we ended up doing a lot of other things. And they were all in on it, and Lauren kind of figured it out. But um, we ended up saving some marriages. I, I was going to do a, some expositional teaching, and then everyone's marriage was in the toilet. So we uh, dove into Wild, uh, John Eldridge's uh, Love and War, which is a great marriage thing. We ended up saving three marriages in that. So we get Lauren saved. We get her baptized. After, shortly after she gets baptized, of course, she gets healed, and now she wants to have children. And we're off and rolling. We are running Trident Shield at this time, and we are making good money. This is going to be our year, year to jump. 
to, you know, we think we're going to make somewhere between one and three million in a year, maybe even six. And then COVID hits and decimates our business. So I realized right away that COVID was going to be a complete reset and that no one's going to buy active shooter training when they're out of work. So I'm like, I'm giving this to God. And I saw Ken Graves teach online. He has a sermon called Judas was a, Judas was a Democrat, right? And I watched that teaching and we dropped everything and moved to Maine to learn at his feet. You know, when I went up to meet him, he was not a sweater vest wearing um, beta male. He was a strong guy, calluses on his hands. He was rolling boulders off a giant flatbed trailer because they, this COVID, everyone had to do services outside and he was protecting his flock from vehicle attacks. Ken taught me that, that you didn't have to suck and be a pastor, right? You could be a man. You could be a manly man. You could be a warrior and be a pastor. But Ken's heart was all about addiction, and that was not my heart. My heart was for veterans, first responders, and patriots. So I came down here. We went back to Virginia and started our, our, well, we tried to sell our house and uh, it wouldn't sell because we wanted to live in Maine with Ken. And in, in the hottest market, my house wouldn't sell. We prayed for it every day. Prayed, 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 prayed. Again, this is why God doesn't answer prayers. If you'd answered my prayer on the first one, I'd still be with my first girlfriend, and that would have probably ended up pretty terrible. If you'd answered my other massive prayer, I would still be stocking shelves at at uh, at uh, Stop and Shop until they went out of business, and then God knows where I would have went at that point. Um, and then here I am. I want to live in Maine, and I want to continue to be with Ken. Well, house doesn't sell. We've run out of money right? Because we're paying rent now in Maine while we were on that COVID, you don't have to pay your mortgage thing, we burn through all of our stuff. So it's time to go back. So we go back, I'm licking my wounds. I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm trying to serve you. Send me wherever. Please don't send me to a blue state. I'll go to a blue state if you want me to go to a blue state. I'll even go to Africa if you want me to go to Africa. But please, you know, send me somewhere. And then I called my the ORW founder, um, guy who got me saved, and I said, "Hey, listen, I'm in transition right now. I'm not in trouble. I just need some. Just pray for me and for God to direct me." And he's like, well, "What's up?" Told him. And he's like, "You do a podcast, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Mike Lindell's looking to start a podcast. I'm going to introduce you guys." And do that. Like, so here I am. We've run out of money, and we know we lost ninety percent of our revenue in trying to. Mike Lindell shows up, gives me a job making my salary exactly what I made before. And I'm like, now I can live anywhere, right? Now I can live anywhere. Do all of our research. Tennessee's where we want to go. We want to go someplace red. Virginia was blue at the time. We wanted to get around godly people and start this ministry for men. I thought it was only going to be for men. And we start looking, we get outbid on every house. Everyone's paying cash. We got to do it traditionally with a home inspection and sell our house. So we put our house in the market. 
Same house that didn't sell. We didn't change anything. Sold in five minutes. We had three offers in five minutes. That was affirmation that we were supposed to go to Tennessee. We were trying to buy this house that we're standing in right now. And on the way there, it fell through. Somebody bought it right away before we could see it. I'm like, man, God, what, what's going on here? I'm like, I got to trust them. I got to trust them. I'm going to get into that here in a second. Go back to Virginia with nothing after being outbid on everything. A day later, you know, Lauren and I are like, man, we're, move, we're about to move up third time in the same year, right? So, which through third time in the same year, which is really expensive and, and draining us. But while we're there, this house comes back on the market, Lauren sees it. And I said, it's time to take a leap of faith. We bought it sight unseen, you know, gave them over, matched the other price sight unseen, came down here. And the pictures that we saw were did not match up. There was a beautiful crystal clear lagoon in the back, right? And um, all the woods that we saw on the satellite picture, it had just been strip logged and it was a big mud hill, like a giant big red mud hill. I'm like, trust in the Lord. You're going to trust in the Lord. I'm like, Lauren was in tears. You know, she came down with me after we put in, we saw the inspection to get out of it because this was before everyone had to even give that up. And I'm like, by May, that how that hill will be as green as ever as anything. This is Tennessee. You can't stop stuff from growing. Come down, we're closing on the house. I look at the owner, three lines up, Billy Graham Evangelical Association. I'm like, holy smokes. So we come down, we are obedient, we drop everything, the Lord blesses it. And that when you are working for the Lord and it is not of you. I was not supposed to go to Maine ever. That was the hardest move I ever did. We found one house in the entire state that would rent to us because we had a pit bull and that, and that man, and it was just happened to be 10 minutes from Ken Graves. Maine is a giant state. No one would rent to us. As a SEAL, I had to learn that just because I can kick down a door that God closes doesn't mean I should go through it. Right? Now, he honored that and gave me the relationship with Ken, which changed my life, right? But I was not supposed to go there. And it cost us $30,000 in moving, between moving up there and back. But he blessed us when we submitted to him. And I had to pray that this is most dangerous prayer that you can pray. And it's like, Lord, you made me for a reason. I don't know what it is. I'm going to take off all limits. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm just saying, send me. Send me, no limitations. I'll go to Africa, which I've never wanted to go to Africa in my life. I'll go to Africa. I'll go wherever you want. I'll go to California. I'll hate it, but I'll go. And from that point on, 48 hours later, I had the job of Mike Lindell. And then shortly thereafter this. So when you were doing the Lord's bidding, you will have those winds at your back. So we came down here and I wanted to send up a flare to let all the Christians and brothers know that I was here. So I knew three people in this town and I said, okay, we're going to build a 600 pound cross. We're going to carry it up that hill. Now 
that's going to require a lot of dudes. So I hope people show up. News came and covered it. I had 70-something people show up. 20 men under that cross, 48 minutes to go from the, the barn here up to the top of the mountain. God loves the story, so he made it rain. So it was like a it was like Lollapalooza in the mud people. We slid down the mountain half the time. And at one point, 10 people were on the ground. That's a picture of us back there afterwards in the windowsill covered in mud. And that was on Memorial Day. So in the story, right, everything's going to go great. All that's all, it's all fun and joy. Nope. Came down here, tried to plug into some churches. And despite there being a church on every corner here in Tennessee, I still couldn't find a place where insecure men weren't threatened by me coming in as a Navy SEAL and wanting to be a pastor and everything else. It was just the pastors, the head pastors would all love me and say, man, I could really use you to come in here. All their underlings would totally freak out. And it was just insecurity 101. So we had decided, you know, here we are. We're going to build this giant men's ministry. I throw my first forging event. And this is another thing. And I got all women signing up. <laughs> I've got all women coming to learn how to shoot, kick butt, and walk with God. And I'm like, well, okay, Lord, <laughs> you know better than I do. Let's see. I don't know if I'm equipped to teach women. You know, I don't know what they're, what I found out is they had the same needs as the men did. Same wounds. just a little different, different challenges. And then the men started coming with the women and it just became great. And so best laid plans it's okay to plan, but you got to keep your ear and follow what the Lord's telling you to do. You know, throughout all this time, my biggest problem has been, and when I said that dangerous prayer, was surrendering to the Lord. See, I'm one of those guys, I'm a planner. I got a plan A, plan B, plan C, D, E, F, G, contingencies all the way up to Z. And I would waste all this inhuman amount of strength trying to get my path as straight as possible. So here I am, I'm on step three, but I'm worried about step 42 and step 116. And they're just not lined up yet, so I'm trying to get them all lined up. That's not how God works. How faith works is you focus on the next best, the next right thing to do. And that has been the hardest thing for me to do is my weakness is surrendering to just doing the next best thing. There's a, a sermon that I'm going to do that is the difference between testing God and trusting God. There's a lot of people in the church who test God when they should be trusting God. There's a very big difference. So testing God would be jumping out of a plane without a parachute, right? And saying, save me, right? That's the churches who don't have security teams and don't have people who have weapons on them. That's the equivalent of jumping today, jumping out of a, parach a plane without a parachute. When you have to, when you, the difference is, is if you're counting on a miracle, that is testing God. You 
Jesus was talking about when the devil was tempting him to say, throw, you know, jump down, you know, and God will send his angels to catch, you know, to, to catch you. And he said, you know, thou shalt not test your Lord, uh, test your, test God. And uh, we have to get better at trusting God. And the way you trust God is you do what you can do. You bring your loaves and your fishes. Noah, God didn't just make a boat for him. Noah had to make the boat. Right? Nehemiah, God didn't snap his finger and there was a magic wall there. Right? Nehemiah had to build the wall. Right? You have to do your part. And if you do your part, God will honor you if it's of his will. And if it's not, he's either testing you or you misread it. Or it's not the right time. Joseph, like he didn't just throw manna into everyone's grain field, right? Joseph had to come up with a plan to say to, to, to stick everything in the, you know, to, to, to gather all those resources for when the hard times came. So my overall takeaways from this are be a guardian to your kids. Raise them in the Lord. You will, by doing that, you will, that is the best gift you could ever give them. They'll be able to deal with cancer, death of a loved one, heartbreak, whatever should happen, they'll be able to handle because you discipled them onto the Lord. Two, in your marriage, Paul Washer has a great sermon on marriage. He comes home from work one day, and his wife's in tears, and it's because of his two boys. And he says, boys, basement, now. <laughs> and they knew they were in trouble. And he said, boys, what would happen if a, a man came in the house and made mama cry? And they're like, dad, you'd whoop him. He's like, that's right. That man is you two right now. Let me, let me tell you guys something. That woman upstairs is the apple of my eye, not you. She's my number one. You're a very distant number two. Don't make me choose between the two of you because you're not going to win. And that's what people really miss in marriage. And that is what leads to the death of more marriages than we could ever imagine, particularly with the women. Right. There's also something in my previous marriage. My ex was a very strong-willed person. And she would never, she did not live biblically. She did not. She wanted to be head of the household. And what I've noticed is what I went through is I was dead when I was home. My life existed when I was with my friends and I could be who I was supposed to be then. Because I'd come in the house and she would try to would always be a measuring contest. doesn't matter if I just worked 48 hours, I could come through the door covered in blood, everything else. I'd say, I'm tired. You think I'm not tired? I'm not saying that you're not tired. I'm just reflecting. What I'm saying is when we do not do marriage as God designed, I've never seen a happy marriage that way, ever. I see guys who escape to their friends, to their football, to their addictions, instead of in their marriage. And then lastly, well, no, the next thing is when God doesn't answer your prayers, it's because he usually has something better in mind for you. Don't settle. If I, I would have settled for way less in life than what God gave me. Here I am. I have bodyguarded presidents. I've been, 
my a private plane by myself. I've been in hotels that I could never afford. And I've done some amazing things. I've met some amazing people. It's because God wanted more for me than what I did. You know, and then the last is in order for him to bless you, you have to surrender to him. If you try to keep a hold of the wheel, you're going to keep screwing it up. So I thought you guys would find this interesting to know who was up here talking to you. I don't know everything in the Bible. I know life. I know people. And as all of us, we have a growing knowledge in the Bible. And I promise you that I will fight for you. Every one of us, all, all we've ever wanted was someone to fight for us. I just wanted my dad to fight for me for, for custody or my mom to fight for me for custody or my friends to fight for me. And I found that in the SEAL teams, but men are still flawed and men are still betrayers. I promise you I will fight for you. The other thing is I can promise is I will fail you at some point. I am a man. I will fall. I will say something stupid. I may offend you. I may roll too hard. Whatever it is, that's me. I hope you will love me and give me enough grace that when I do fail you, you forgive me and pick me back up, dust me off. So let's go to prayer and wrap this up. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this amazing time together of fellowship, of getting to know one another, of trusting one another, and getting vulnerable and showing all the warts and all the wrinkles and all the scars. Lord, I pray this time glorified you and not me, because again, I am the villain in this story. I would still be messing up, and I still do mess up. I would still be lost to sin, lost to death. If it wasn't for you, only your amazing grace. Lord, take my story, my testimony, my history, all my darkness, all my unbelief, all my sin, and use it to save someone else, Lord. Because if you can save me, you can save anyone. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Patriot Crusader Mission Podcast. To support this ministry, please go to our website at patriotcrusadermission.org to make a tax-deductible donation or to tie it to our church. Grace and peace to you. Thank you for standing shoulder to shoulder with us in today's spiritual vanguard on Christian Warrior Talk, presented by Christian Warrior Mission. As we've united in prayer, let's hold fast to the truth in Nehemiah 4.14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Until next time, let's keep a humble and grateful heart, deliberately pursue our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and equip ourselves with the full armor of God. You're not walking this path alone. Lock shields with us, and together we will hold the line. May God bless you all.